Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, December 16th. The city has announced a bus electrification strategy, which will replace 259 buses at the end of their life cycle. We catch up with Mayor Jyoti Gondek for details on the rollout, including what the ambitious project will cost Calgary taxpayers. What were the biggest U.S. news stories of the year? From the midterm elections to continuing conversations surrounding gun reform, we break down the top stories over the past 12 months with Jackson Prosco, Global News Washington Bureau Chief. And finally, we catch up with Faisal Carmeli from the Popowich Carmeli Advisory Group, CIBC Wood Gundy, to discuss the current challenges facing businesses and their ability to retain talent, including a new phenomenon known as ghosting. Much like Bob Dylan, the city is going electric. With details on the bus electrification strategy and issues facing the city of Calgary, we're joined by Mayor Jyoti Gondek. Good morning to you, Madam Mayor. Good morning, Andy. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for joining us. Uh, let's uh, get things going right now. Uh, the bus electrification strategy. I, I, I saw the price tag, $491 million. Where will the money come from and uh, why is it important to go electric? Well, it's important to go electric so that we are um, reducing our emissions. Right now, much of our fleet is diesel. We've got some compressed natural gas as well. Electrification is definitely the way forward. And for the $100 million investment that the city is putting forward to this project, we are able to tap into about a $220 million grant from the federal government, as well as $168 million in the form of a low-interest loan from the Canada Infrastructure Bank. And uh, the really good news is that the savings and operating dollars will pay off that loan plus the interest. On the topic of, well, from buses to transit in general, it's been a major issue this year, Madam Mayor, from safety to frequency. So what is the city's transit strategy going forward? I know that's kind of a loaded question. Well, I don't think it's loaded. I think it's a perfectly good question that many Calgarians are asking. I think we've got to do a better job of responding when we see incidents along the transit line. Um, we have cameras that are used regularly. There are more officers deployed in the situation of an incident. Calgary Police Service is an active partner. So I would say that, you know, we have increased uh, the amount of observation we are doing as well as the response with more officers. And when it comes to transit in general, we were able to freeze the rates for uh, this coming year at last year's levels. And we are able to offer free rides to anyone who is under 12. All right. Okay. It sounds like the plan is moving ahead and we look forward to 2023 and, you know, uh, happier stories surrounding transit is something that isn't so happy. And if you have hear from uh, family, friends, coworkers, or if you're online, you've, you've heard a lot about these thefts of catalytic converters. So you walk out to your truck and it sounds different. You find out that uh, the essential piece of your car has been stolen. What is the city going to do to address this? And can uh, the city effectively address this sort of a theft? Well, the city is going to do its best to address this. We have a notice of motion that was put forward. Um, it's not something that we debate at executive committee, but we take a look at it. We make sure it's sound. It was brought forward by uh, Councillor DeMong. It has been supported by many other members of council, and there will be penalty penalties uh, for people who are found responsible for this type of theft. So we will debate it in a more fulsome manner coming up uh, in the next month or so. A lot of people will be happy to hear that. Also, the city looking to update the Calgary Councillor Code of Conduct. It's a lot of C's. Um, what updates is City Council looking to make, and, and why are they needed? 
Yeah, that's a very good question. So there is a regular update that takes place to the Code of Conduct. It's something that we do um, just regularly, but there was one that was uh, required um, as outlined by council and agreed upon by the Integrity Commissioner and the Ethics Advisor. So it's this more fulsome review that was being done that was brought to us at Executive Committee and it is coming back to us for more debate at January committee it's important to stay on top of these types of policies and codes to ensure that we are uh, demonstrating complete transparency and responsibility to the citizens that we serve madam mayor we're going to sneak in one more interview with you uh, next week a, a year in review we're going to look back at the past 12 months a little bit more in depth than we normally have time for uh, so having said that uh, holiday plans let's, let's ask you about your holiday plans is there something that you and your family look forward to every year well, I'll tell you, I'm looking forward to putting on track pants and a hoodie on the 23rd <laughs> and relaxing. Um, we just, you know, go with the flow. We see what's happening in the city. We check out a few events here and there and really just enjoy the ability to spend some time with each other. Absolutely. And uh, one last question, because I know everybody has one. A favorite Christmas movie, Mayor Gondak. Do you have a favorite? I love watching Die Hard. I got to tell you, it's <laughs> super cheesy. And uh, I love it. And I'll bring that to our uh, listeners in a second, the debate. Whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas <laughs> movie. I'm with you, and I love that. It's a good one. Uh, thank you so much, and happy holidays to you. I know we'll, we'll do our in-depth uh, chat, but I want to give you an early happy holidays. Well, thank you. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and happy weekend. Yeah, happy weekend, more importantly. Thanks so much. Take care. That is uh, Calgary Mayor Jyoti Gondek. All year, Jackson Prosco, Global News, Washington Bureau Chief, has joined us with the latest news south of the border each and every Friday. Jackson back with us for another week, but this time with a, a large-scale view, looking back at the past 12 months. Good morning to you, Jackson. Good morning. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. We're going to look back, but I want to touch on this because this is something that, you know, might raise a few eyebrows. Top stories in a minute, but uh, the Senate did pass a bill to ban TikTok. Let's break this down, and would it be for every TikTok user, Jackson? This really comes down to those national security concerns about the app and the access it has to people's phones. Uh, right now, what they're looking at is a ban of uh, U.S. government employees having TikTok on their government phones. This is a step that several individual state governments have already taken, and it does speak to the sort of the broader security concerns about TikTok. And you'll remember there was a push under the Trump administration to ban the app outright from the U.S., which some people are still talking about, again, owing to security concerns about the app that is controlled by a Chinese-based company. All right, now we're going to dig into the past 12 months and what a year it has been. Uh, you can look through different websites and a lot of people have their opinions, but from your opinion, someone who has a bird's-eye view, what stands out as the biggest story stateside in 2022? You know, I think it has to be the midterm elections and really the sort of surprises that came out from this because uh, they really sort of it really sort of speaks to uh, the overall climate and all the big stories here in the U.S. You know, at the end of the day, Republicans didn't make the big, big gains that they were hoping for. They didn't win control of the Senate. They only won a slim majority in the House. And that speaks to the fact that despite the fact that you had record high inflation, which, you know, millions of Americans felt in their day to day lives. And obviously that was the dominant story for so many people. 
people. Uh, it was the Supreme Court ruling about abortion that really sort of uh, set the tone for so many Americans, raised their concerns uh, about, uh, you know, the, the direction of the country. And you had the overlay of the January 6th hearings, which really sort of spoke to the concerns that many Americans had about the future of democracy. And you layer all those things together. You have an election year here in this country. And really, I think that's why the midterm elections and the ultimate results stand out as such a defining moment uh, of where this country is at right now. Jackson, as we put a cap on 2022, where are we with the investigation into the January 6th incidents? Uh, We have any further clarity moving uh, deeper into, into the new year, actually. Yeah, it's all going to wrap up actually next week. And the reason for that, of course, is that the end of the calendar year spells the end of this term of Congress when Republicans will take control and disband the January 6th commission. Uh, on Monday, we're going to get uh, we're going to see the final formal meeting of the January 6th commission. Uh, it is possible that they will announce any criminal referrals at that time. And at the same time, they're going to release an executive summary of their findings and recommendations for the future. And then on Wednesday, the full report, uh, which will likely be thousands of pages long, will be released to the public. So we will sort of get a final sense of their findings. You know, I think, Andy, one concern coming out of the January 6th commission was perhaps too much focus strictly on the actions of former President Donald Trump and not enough delving into the questions of who planned this, who financed this, how well organized was this, uh, you know, uh, how how were members of Congress potentially involved in this plot? Perhaps we'll see some of that answered in the final report and the final meeting next week. But I think arguably, if there's one sort of piece of the puzzle that hasn't been filled in yet, it's that. Unfortunately, in 2022, gun violence made more than a couple of headlines. Uh, But in particular, I'm wondering what we can take from the Uvalde shooting as far as any reforms, uh, because that was one that uh, certainly uh, we're going to get the machine going to to reform uh, guns in in the U.S. and, and ownership and use. Did anything come of that? You know, we saw sort of a tepid response, I think you could argue, which is probably about all you're going to see in this country, which was, you know, a greater focus on those so-called red flag laws to essentially prevent the sale of firearms to people uh, with diagnosed uh, criminal histories or mental health concerns. Uh, but generally speaking, no, we, we didn't see a formal assault weapons ban, for example, something that was uh, brought in after the Sandy Hook shooting 10 years ago uh, and since expired. Um, and I think it generally gives you a sense that uh, resolving issues issues around gun violence in this country and event, essentially mass shootings is still impossible regardless of who's in power because there is not the political appetite in this country to get it done. And remember, to pass any any actual legislation on this in the Senate, you would have uh, needed at least 10 Republicans to come on board with the 50 Democrats. That didn't happen, and that dynamic is not going to change anytime soon. Earlier in the year, a lot of eyebrows raised and surprised with the overturn of the landmark Roe versus Wade case, Jackson. Where do abortion rights stand as we put a cap on the year? What I think is so interesting coming out of that is not only, as I mentioned, did that really sort of define the midterm elections, even if it wasn't always at the forefront of conversation, but it actually showed where Americans stand on the issue, which is that the vast majority of Americans across both parties support some access to abortion rights. And you saw multiple states, red states, conservative states, hold referendums on this issue. And overwhelmingly, time and time again, voters said, we want to enshrine those rights in law. We want to make sure they are protected. And they essentially overruled legislators uh, and the Supreme Court in those states and said, you know, we want to make sure that people still have access to those rights. And so I think that is the takeaway here is that given the opportunity to vote directly on issues that have been decided by the courts, uh, Americans will make their minds and up and, and make their voices and positions clear. 
Ten months into the war in Ukraine, Jackson, and as we move into 2023, uh, can you explain uh, how you're seeing the U.S. commitment to supporting Ukraine and what we might expect moving into the first couple of months of the new year? You know, I think it's really remarkable the amount of aid that has come from the U.S. and its allies to Ukraine. I think the question is, how much longer is that sustainable? Uh, we've certainly seen Republicans start to question that multi-billion dollar investment. And there's been some suggestion that Republicans with control of the House, uh, which controls the purse strings in this country, might try to slow or block further aid to Ukraine. Uh, at the same time, here in the final days of Democrat control of both houses, they are trying to rush through more aid packages. And the sort of most significant uh, development now is that uh, it sounds like the Pentagon will be sending uh, American-made Patriot anti-aircraft batteries to Ukraine, something the Ukrainians have been asking for for a long time. I think the Biden administration would argue that the return on investment here in terms of losses suffered by the Russian army for a relatively speaking small investment in defense spending has been worth it, uh, not only in terms of defending the people of Ukraine, but in terms of sending a message to Vladimir Putin. But again, you do have increasing questions as Republicans take control about the overall amount, those hundreds of billions of dollars that are being spent. Interesting. It has been an interesting past 12 months, and we look forward to our weekly chats as well, moving ahead in uh, through the year 2023. Thank you so much, Jackson. Happy holidays and happy new year. You as well. That is Jackson Prosco, Global News, Washington Bureau Chief. Throughout 2022, we've heard about the staffing challenges many businesses are facing and the challenges to attract and retain talent. But now, a new challenge, employers getting ghosted by new hires. Joining us to discuss is our friend Faisal Carmelli of the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, and host of the podcast, The Carmelli Exchange. Good morning to you, Faisal. Good morning, sir. I'm going to start calling you Faisal, by the way. Uh, move over, <laughs> Howard uh, Stern, the king of all media. Faisal Carmel, he's on TV, he's on radio, a very big online presence. And that's where I, I caught one of your videos. And uh, I want to get within this conversation to where we can watch your videos, Faisal. And I'm not just uh, buttering you up because I want to be invited to your house for a cocktail or a Christmas party or something <laughs> or vacation. Uh, but it's in super plain language that you break things down and, uh, you know, bring things to people's attention. Now, when we say ghosting, for those folks at home who are listening now and don't know the term, generally in a relationship, you know, you go on that first date, some person uh, you're, you're uh, sitting across from likes you, you might not be so interested. So you just don't return phone calls. You're out of reach. You don't return texts, whatever it might be. You just kind of move away. You, you turn into a ghost, essentially. That's the relationship. But in the uh, work world, how does ghosting work from an employee? You know, I get the opportunity to speak to so many CEOs and and CFOs of publicly traded companies. I wanted to take what I learned from these companies and bring it to the average business owner in Canada. And this is one one problem that every business is is facing pretty much. In fact, the Canadian Federation of Independent Businesses say that one out of three small business owners said they've hired someone over the past year who has never showed up on their first day of work. So they're they're going through this entire process of interviewing these these employee candidates. They're they're making an offer, the offer's accepted and come the first day of work, boom, they've ghosted these business owners. This is a very tough time right now. There's already a labor shortage. They're having a hard time filling the the uh, the gaps in their businesses. And in fact, if we take it to the United States, according to HR analytics company Visor, 
Visor says 85% of workers admitted to ghosting an employer uh, during the interview process or just right after they've got the job. So this is a this is a, a new concept that's being introduced, but not a not a new problem for these business owners. Can we look at a specific uh, sector, Faisal, or a specific pay grade? Are, are these high end jobs? Or are these lower end jobs? These are between low end to mid management levels. So there's people who are out there on all different levels. This is not a um, a specific industry issue. It's it is for smaller businesses. So think of companies with less than a hundred employees. Generally speaking, uh, are the ones. And the the interesting part of this, a bunch of the these employees are from recruiting companies they're being headhunted and saying here's an opportunity they're like yeah i'll go to the whole whole process and then they just don't even show up and so i try to look through on my on my platform on on, on different pieces of social media and, and so forth and say why are why are employees doing this and employers what are you doing about night and i get a big reaction from both sides i get the employer saying it's very frustrating the employees are saying i just found a better offer i didn't know how to tell my business uh, my business owner how how to uh how I'm going to deal with that. So they just don't even show up or, or some just say, you know, I wanted to see what was out there so I can compare that and show that to my own boss and say, Hey, I want to raise because outside there, they're offering me a, a higher paying job. So it's, uh, it's, it's being used for multiple reasons, but it's still a challenging part for a business owner. From, from my perspective, Faisal, and it might surprise you that people aren't clamoring for my talents. My phone isn't ringing off the hook, but I look at two scales, for example, on one side, a, a great offer, a better offer, as I perceive it to be, from a, a different job, even though I just accepted an offer. And then on the other side, my reputation. Do they not consider that? Like, could it not come to bite these employees to say, hey, you got hired by Company X. Uh, you know, we've uh, reached out to them and you did accept the offer and you never showed up. Like, is this not going to come back to people? I'm going to use your dating analogy uh, in the beginning of this of this conversation. If you were to sit down on a date with somebody and ask them how many times you've been you've ghosted your 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 previous date, that would be something that that would be interesting. And I don't think many people would actually admit that they do that. I don't know how many employers would be able to know that they that the person they're hiring just ghosted another company. I don't think that information is readily available, and I don't think people are going to be forthcoming with that information. It's going to be very challenging, and I think that's one way that these these employees have have an edge up right now because they're looking for opportunities and they can do pretty much whatever they want to do. This has been, in you know, the terms we've heard, for example, quiet quitting over the past year or so, maybe even a little longer than that, uh, kind of a result or a byproduct of the pandemic. Um, so this is the position we're in now, talking about ghosting. Can you see this coming to an end? What do you see? I'm going to get you to look into the crystal ball. Will there be more stability for these uh, business owners and employers coming up? Yeah, l- let me take it from an economic perspective. Right now, there's an abundance of jobs with very few people chasing after those jobs. And so there's a more supply than there is demand for those jobs. And when that when that happens, it is always in the in, in the position that there's an there's an imbalance at this point in time. At some point in the in the future, economically speaking, we're going to see either less jobs available or possibly layoffs as well. When that type of uh, activity happens, you basically then put that balance back into place and supply does meet demand. That's part of what the U.S. Federal Reserve is talking about, what their their mandate is. It's not the mandate of the Bank of Canada, but it's an outcome of raising interest rates. So at some point, we're going to see a balance happen. We just don't know exactly when that's going to be. All right, time to give you a chance to plug, Faisal, uh, the Carmelli Exchange and, uh, you know, the different platforms you're on. And, and why do you think it's important to spend your time, um, you know, uh, putting these videos out? 
Yeah, I think the the backbone of of our of our economy in this country and the United States is small, medium sized businesses. I'm fortunate enough to work with a whole bunch of publicly traded corporations in my day job, but this is an opportunity for me to take the lessons that I learned from them, uh, these big companies, and share it with ev- the average business owner. And so, go anywhere on and look up Faisal Carmeli. You'll see on our YouTube channel, our our social media platforms. We do a podcast, we do interviews, we do live sessions. We actually teach. Uh, business owners how to actually take their business to the next level using five key pillars we call them people product process passion and get paid or better known as the five p's that we're like the the entrepreneur's economist to help them move with their business and you know when when you say entrepreneur's economist i I took some economics courses in university and i thought it was very interesting but i was lost it was like they were talking uh, you know (laughs) greek to me you, again, you speak in very uh, plain language that people can understand and give good examples. Is that something you had to hone or is that how you view business and the economy? Well, I, I think when you look at the economy and you look at what business owners are doing, they're very good at their craft. Many business owners find running a business very challenging for multiple reasons. If I can just simplify the process for every business owner out there, they'll be able to understand what they need to do and make the right decisions for their own business and take it and move it forward. So my my job is basically convert the complexity of of, uh, the economy, complexity of what's happening in big businesses and bring it down to bite sizes for the average, average business owner. Basil, I just say have a good weekend, but we'll be talking again next hour, but... Thanks so much for your time, and uh, don't be ghosting your employer. (laughs) Thanks, Faisal. (laughs) Thank you. We'll chat with you in an hour. You bet. It's Faisal Carmeli of the Popovich Carmeli Advisory Group.